0: Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, again, I, I love you so very much. It is my absolute joy to be with you here this morning, and I'm grateful that we can continue in a journey together through the book of Mark in a series that is entitled, Jesus Is. Jesus Is. We are getting towards, towards the end of uh, Mark 8. There's still a lot of meat left on the bone but why, why, the, why the title Jesus is? Well, if you're here for the first time or if it's been a little while since you've been here, we have said week after week that the Gospel of Mark is demonstrating through all these powerful signs and wonders and miracles And the authority of Jesus Christ, that he's got power and authority over nature and demons and religious traditions and blindness and deafness and paralysis and sickness and curses and death and finally eternal salvation itself. From the very first word to the last, the gospel of Mark is saying, Jesus is the Son of God. And as we continue in our journey this morning, as we now get to Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21... The title of our message here this morning is Looking Through the Leftovers. Looking through the leftovers. Possibly my favorite activity the week after Thanksgiving. (laughs) Looking through those leftovers. Well, as we're going to see when we look at the passage here, looking through the leftovers means looking at everything that has taken place in your past to make sense of your present. And I want to share something that I've kind of shared bits and pieces of with members of this church a lot in the past few weeks. I've had a chance to teach uh, every Sunday school class in our church at some capacity the past few weeks. And then on Sunday nights, I've shared what I'm going to share again right now. And that is this. My walk with Jesus Christ has been a very slow and progressive walk. I know there are some of you that have a testimony that there was a day and time where you knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and you prayed a prayer to receive Christ and you can say, my spiritual birthday is January twenty seventh, 1965. I walked the aisle, I prayed the prayer and I've been following Jesus ever since. If that is your testimony, praise God. It's not my testimony. Uh, My testimony was a long and slow and even painful journey of seeking after God. And I got saved at 27 years old, but here's the key. I finally surrendered my life not only to the Lordship of Christ, but to the authority of His Word two years later in 2009. There was a two-year process after I claimed to follow Christ, and I believe I was genuinely saved, where I needed to know for sure that I could trust the Bible as the Word of God. And I did everything. I mean, I ran after this Bible with everything I had. I studied and sought answers to every question I had. And it took two years for me to seek an answer to all the questions I had where I finally got to a moment where God opened my eyes and said, Bo, not only can you trust Jesus as the Word of God made flesh, you can trust the Bible as the Word of God written. And I'll tell you, since that day in 2009, when I finally said, Lord, I will accept the Bible as Your Word and I will submit to it, God has taken me on an amazing journey ever since. But why do I bring that story up? Here's why I bring it up. I did all this research. I I prayed. I sought the Lord. And when I got to the point where I was ready to completely surrender to the authority of the Word of God, it was as if God finally... Got a hold of my heart and said, Bo, pay attention. Are you, are you aware of what's been happening in your life the last two years? Are you aware of how many people I've put in your path who are godly Christians who testify to the power of the word? Are you aware of this Bible college called the Guido Bible College that you've been going to and meeting godly professor after godly professor? Are you aware of what I'm doing at Cedar Street? Are you aware of all the godly Christians you met at Pineland Telephone who shared their faith with you? Have you paid attention to what I've been doing in your life? I mean, I've been beating you over the head with this lovingly for two years now. The Bible is transformative. It's living and active. You can trust it. I had to finally step back and say the evidence in my life was so obvious that it would take more faith to believe that it's not the Word of God than to believe it is. And I gave my life to it. And again, God has taken me on a journey since then. So. As we walk into this passage in Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21, I just want to say sometimes we have to look back at Christ's work to go forward in faith and trust in Christ's promises. Some of us are seeking answers. You walked into the sanctuary this morning seeking answers, and maybe, just maybe, you haven't seen Jesus right in front of your face. And you've been blind to so many things that He's doing in your life right now. All the answers you've been looking for are right in front of you. And I pray if that's the case that together we'll look through the leftovers to see what He's done and trust what He's going to do. And that leads us to our big idea in one sentence. Our big idea in one sentence Jesus leads His disciples to look through the leftovers of a miraculous meal to see the sin of spiritual blindness. Jesus leads His disciples to look through the leftovers of a miraculous meal to see the sin of spiritual blindness. So, if you want to look through the leftovers with me, would you join me by turning to the Gospel of Mark, second book of the New Testament. It's Matthew, then Mark. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you or beside you. will be on page 1003 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word, we're in Mark chapter 8, and we're looking at verses 14 through 21. Hear God's word to us through His servant Mark. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I. Thank you for the joy of being in your house, the joy of being with your people, and the opportunity to open your word. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we acknowledge and seek and look at the spiritual blindness of your disciples, that you would open us to our own spiritual blindness of what it is that you're doing in our life as well. You're doing so much and sometimes we see and understand so little. I just pray that you'd be with us in a special way, that your power and presence would be with us and that you'd remove hearts of stone, that you'd replace them with hearts of flesh, that your spirit would be alive and well in us and that our eyes would be open to your redeeming work. Be with us now as we look through the leftovers together. In Jesus' name, And God's people said, amen. So again, we're in Mark chapter 8 and we're in verse 14 just to kind of uh, set the scene for you. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago or if you're kind of plugging back in here, Jesus and the disciples just witnessed an amazing miracle. Not only did He feed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fish, then He fed the 4,000 with a few loaves and fish. And so a second miraculous meal took place and they got in a boat and they went over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and as they got there, The Pharisees, of course, spiritually blind, said, Okay, Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, give us a sign from heaven. And we saw last week that Jesus knew that their hearts were hardened and that no evidence would be enough for them to believe that he's the Son of God. And so, you know what? Jesus said, I've had enough. And he got his disciples right back in the boat and they made a U-turn. They went right back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where they are right now. They're in the boat. They've left the Pharisees. And they just had a miraculous meal They had 4,000 people that were fed. And they say to themselves, you know, they're processing all of this, and yet they're in the boat, and they only have one loaf of bread. And they just saw Jesus feed 4,000 people with a few loaves, and yet all they can think about is this loaf of bread. And so here's the issue. I want you to think about their faith and your faith like a jigsaw puzzle. All, right, all the things that Jesus was doing in the life of the disciples were like these pieces of the puzzle. But they're in the boat, and basically, I want you to think about it as all these pieces are there, but they haven't put it together yet. They can't get the big picture. They, they're straining at a gnat to swallow a camel. They don't get the fact they're in the boat with the bread of life. They're staring at a loaf of bread saying, how are we going to get fed? We're hungry. And I want to say as we walk into the passage before we cast stones, in a lot of ways, we're all in the same boat with them. God has been working in our lives in so many ways, sometimes so powerfully, yet we forget so quickly what He's doing. And we got to go back, and we got to look at the leftovers. And so that's what we're going to do. I want us to look together at three key aspects of what has been left over from Christ's miraculous meal that the disciples are working through together in that boat. So we're going to look at the leftovers together. And the first thing I want to look at as we look at number one, let's look at the leftover loaf. The leftover loaf, verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Come on, disciples. He just fed 4,000. You have all these baskets full of bread and they get back in the boat and they got one loaf left. Obviously, they weren't thinking through this, but then again, God, who is sovereignly in control of all things, knew exactly what he was doing, leading them in the middle of the Sea of Galilee with only one loaf of bread. So they had a need. They needed food. They only had one loaf, but they also had a decision to make. And so do we. Where do I place my trust to have my need met? Disciples are looking at each other and they're saying, how are we going to make this work? There's a bunch of us. There's only one loaf of bread. This is an interesting journey across the lake. We don't know what's going to happen on the other side. How are we going to have our need met? They had to decide and we have to decide every single day, where are we going to place our trust when we have need where are we going to place our trust? And they also have an opportunity. So they had a need. They need food. They had, they had a uh, decision to make. Who do they trust? But now they have an opportunity. They can either grow in their trust of the Lord Jesus and watch Him provide for them yet again, or they can go deeper and deeper and deeper into the sin of self-dependency. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If you're, again, if this is your first time here, if you've, or a little while since you've been here, what we've been saying as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark is that God wants to break us of self-dependency. He created us as a loving Father who desired to have children who would depend on Him to provide all things. And yet the first thing that we do, given the opportunity, is we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we want to provide all of our own needs. And they have a great opportunity here to put to death their self-dependency and trust Jesus at a greater level. And I just, again, want to say, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what boat you're in right now. You have needs beyond what you yourself can provide. And you have a decision and an opportunity. Who are you trusting right now? Who are you trusting right now to meet those needs? Maybe it's a physical need. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a spiritual need. Maybe it's a relational need. And you're exhausting yourself trying to think about, how do I fix this? And God is saying, why are you still trying to fix it? Do you trust me? Are you waiting for me to provide? Are you giving me opportunity to provide, It all comes down to a level of trust. And the disciples who had Jesus with them and watched him perform miracle after miracle, they still do not trust that what they need is Jesus. They still think they need another loaf of bread. And so that's number one, the leftover loaf. Let's move on to number two, the leftover leaven. In verses 15 through 16, it says, And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So in verse 15, you get this warning from Jesus. Jesus sees them bickering about bread. And instead of saying to them, I'm going to give you all the bread that you need, he first issues them a warning. And he makes a very interesting statement and one that he knew that they were not going to understand right away. He said to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, first of all, we have to know what leaven is. And then we have to know why we have to watch out for the Pharisees and Herod, or some translations say the Herodians. All right. First of all, what's leaven? Well, leaven is a batch of dough that you take from one loaf of bread and put it into the next batch to help the bread rise. All right, that's what leaven is. It's leftover dough, all right? And so you save some dough from the first batch and you put it into the second batch. And again, it helps the bread rise. That's what leaven is. And he's saying, beware of the leftover influences that are keeping you from believing in me. That's what Jesus is saying. Leftover leaven means watch out for a past influence that is spoiling a present reality because a little bit of bad leaven put into a new loaf will ruin the whole loaf. And so he's saying, look back at the people who are criticizing me. Look back at the people who don't believe that I'm the Son of God and beware of them because just a little bit of what they believe, if it gets in your heart, just like leaven gets into bread, it'll ruin the whole loaf. And you will not see that I'm the Son of God. Now, why would he say the Pharisees and Herod, or again, some translations say the Herodians. Here's why he said these two, because these are two groups of people that did not believe Jesus was the Son of God, but they did not believe for two completely separate reasons. The Pharisees did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God because the the Pharisees were looking for a hyper-religious, legalistic king to lead them into a new kingdom. They wanted a new king to be just like them to be a religious rule keeper, very rigid, very structured, and they wanted him to sit on the throne and lead a new kingdom. So they wanted a religious king. And Jesus said, you look, you're looking for the wrong person. Well, the Herodians, all right, King Herod was a Roman-appointed king, and the Herodians were looking for a political king, somebody who could sit on the throne and rule the kingdom by force. All right, so whether a religious king, which Jesus was not, or a political king that Jesus was not, both the Pharisees and the Herodians saw Jesus, this carpenter from Nazareth, and said, whatever we're looking for, you're not it, and we don't want you. And Jesus says, I came to bring a new kingdom, and they're saying, no, we have an idea of what we want the kingdom to be, and we don't want you to be a part of it, Jesus, because you don't fit the profile. And so what Jesus is saying to them in the boat is beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Don't be looking for me as the Son of God, as someone that's going to give you all these rigid legalistic rules and turn us into these hyper-religious people that think that we're better than everybody else. But beware of the leaven of Herod. Beware of thinking that I'm going to be a political leader that's going to come and rule by force and take over Rome by force because that's not me either. He's saying be careful, be aware and, and, the, and the, uh, the disciples are trying to process all of this. They, they're trying to process the, thing, the fact that Jesus is not fitting any of these categories. Now, I love this quote in church history from the great reformer, Martin Luther. Here's what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther said uh, years ago, he said, Satan doesn't care what side of the horse you fall off as long as you don't stay in the saddle. So he didn't care if you fall off on one side and you're trying to be hyper-religious and he doesn't care if you fall off on the other side and you're hyper political. Either way, you're missing the boat. You're missing who Jesus is. And he's saying, "Watch out for the leaven. Watch out for it because it will it will make you blind." And it made them blind. You know why? Cuz in verse 16 after Jesus says that, they're still staring at the loaf of bread. Jesus is talking about eternal life and they're like, "That's great, Jesus. I'm hungry. I only got one loaf of bread in the boat." They were ignorant in so many different ways. They were ignorant of who Christ was. They they started to have an idea of who Christ is, all right? They've seen Jesus do all these things. They know enough about Jesus to leave their families behind and follow Him, but they still don't understand. They don't understand that God in human form is sitting next to them in the boat. They don't know who He is just yet, and they're ignorant of what He's done. They just saw him take a few loaves, bless it, look to the sky as the Father put his blessing upon it, and feed 4,000 people. They missed it. I mean, this just happened. And the thing that they're most ignorant of is their sin of self dependency. They still want to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get the job done, they don't want to hand over their entire life to Jesus just yet. They, they don't want to hand it over to Jesus. They're, they're basically missing the forest despite the trees. They can't see what's happening right in front of them. They're, they're, they're obsessing over one thing, but they're missing the big picture. And I will tell you, as your pastor in the last six years, I go through this a lot in one particular ministry of our church. So we have a benevolent ministry here at Cedar Street, and we have money set aside for people who are in need And I'm so grateful for that because through the course of every year, we get knocks on the door pretty much every month, almost every week. And it's our joy to meet those needs because sometimes there are faithful followers of Christ that just fall on hard times. And God may be leading them to us for help to break them of their self-dependency. But I will tell you what happens most of the time. Most of the time somebody comes knocking on the door asking for help and when I sit down with them to share Christ and see where they're at spiritually, what I find is they're obsessed about the bread but they could care nothing about the bread of life. When I share Jesus with them, they either don't want to talk about that or, and this happens more often than not, and this is kind of surprising even though it happens over and over and over again, I'm surprised every time it happens. They start preaching to me I'll be sitting there saying, you know, I know, I know you're you're struggling. We're, we're going to get you some food, but how you doing spiritually? And they'll start telling me, you know, God's got my back. I'm going to get through this. And I don't know if you know Jesus, but this is how you attack Satan. And this is and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, how did you get where you are? You know, how did it get to the point where you came to church to preach at me? How did it come to the point where when I share Jesus, you you want to talk about everything but Jesus? No one ever comes in a time of need and said, I made a mistake. No one ever came to me and said, I want to repent, I've made some mistakes, I am where I am because it's my own fault. They're missing the forest despite the trees. They're obsessing over what's in their refrigerator, but they refuse to acknowledge how God is working in their life. And that scares me, because God will oftentimes lead us into a time of desperation, physically, to wake us up to a reality, spiritually. All right? It's happened to me in my own life. I'm sure for some of you, you go through a, a, a physical condition or a financial situation where you get to the end of your rope and you don't know how you got there and you don't know how you're going to get out of it and God says, you know what, I love you but I allow this to happen because now you're paying attention because the issue is not really what's in your bank account. The issue is not really what the medical report is. The issue is I want to have a relationship with you and sin has gotten in the way. Are you willing to repent and draw unto me as I draw close to you. This is the God we serve, and sometimes we're so blind of what God is doing because we're staring at a loaf of bread and we're missing the bread of life who is Jesus. And we gotta be careful of the leaven that finds its way into our hearts, the people who want us to obsess over the bread. Because if you don't have Jesus, you're someone who's gonna obsess about the trials of life instead of the one who holds all of life in his hands. So that's the leftover leaven. So we've looked at the leftover loaf, the leftover leaven. Let's look third and finally at the leftover lesson. A lesson that they had yet to learn and Jesus has been teaching it over and over and over again. As you look at verses 17 through 21, he asks a very interesting question in verse 17. Jesus says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? He's saying, why is it after all that I've done and how much I've shown you that I can meet every single need you have if you're willing to give your life over to me, why is it that you're still obsessing over bread when I just fed 4,000 people with almost as much as the same amount of bread as you have in the boat with you right now? And then he peppers them with questions. He says, do you not perceive? He's basically asking, can you not see what's going on around you right now? Right now? And then he says, are your hearts hardened? He's saying, will you not open up to what I'm trying to show you right now? And then he says, do you not see? He's basically saying, will you refuse to acknowledge that I have divine power as the Son of God? And then he says, do you not hear? He's saying, will you not listen to the authority of my teaching? Then he says, do you not remember? have you already forgotten how I've supernaturally met your needs? And then he kind of puts it all together and says, do you not understand? In other words, all the pieces of the puzzle are already right in front of you. Have you not put the pieces of the puzzle together? And he looks at the disciples and they're just not getting it. Now, Before you cast a stone at the disciples and say, you know, Bo, if I was in the presence of Jesus and he fed 4,000, I'd never have another doubt again. If you're someone that would say that, first of all, I'd say, if I looked at your life, I would say, you've had doubts. But number two, we have something right now that the disciples didn't have. You say, what's that? We have the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us. Now listen to this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was beside the people. During the Gospels, the Holy Spirit was among the people. But at the time of Pentecost, for the first time in human history, God indwelled human beings. When you're a Christian, the Bible says you are born again, and that heart of stone is removed. It's replaced with the heart of flesh, and He puts His Spirit of God inside of you. That's a fulfillment of a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. And you have God inside of you. And the Holy Spirit inside of you basically illumines, which means he sheds light on the truth. What you saw in the dark, you now see in the light. He removes the blinders. He enables you to see all that's going on. And you have that, and they didn't. You say, but they were with Jesus. Yes, but they were blind. And they needed the Holy Spirit to help make them aware of who Jesus is. We have less excuse than they do. Because God lives inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And if we open up to that temple, if we open up to the Spirit's work, He makes it more and more clear who He is and what He's doing in our life. And yet at the same time, the Bible teaches that you have the ability to quench and grieve the Holy Spirit inside of you. Let me tell you how this works. You know how you quench the Holy Spirit? when you have a deep conviction from the Spirit inside of you and you don't respond in obedience. When you don't respond in obedience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, what happens over the course of time is that conviction gets a little quieter and a little quieter and you quench His power in your life. And then once you quench Him, His response to that is to grieve. All right, quenching's what we do. Grieving's how the Holy Spirit responds. And you know why? The Spirit of God is a person. He's not a life force. He is the third person of the Trinity. He's a person who loves you, who indwells you, who wants to convict you. He wants to mold you. He wants to transform you into the image of the Lord Jesus. He wants you to love Jesus with everything you have. And when you have that conviction that you're living in sin and you refuse to repent, what happens over the course of time is that voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter, and that's how we with the Holy Spirit living inside of us can be as ignorant as the disciples when God does all these things in our life and a few weeks later it's as if he never did anything at all. All of us struggle with that because we have a nature of sin that we're called to put to death, and yet at the same time God is calling us to say, be aware, have you forgotten? Do you see what I'm doing in your life? Do you see what is going on? All right? We need to remember that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we need to ask this question. If you walked into this room today and you have a, a need of some kind, you have an issue of some kind and you don't know what's going on, here's the question that you need to ask yourself. Where's God in this? Where's God in your pain? Where's God in your questions? Do you think God is abandoning you? Have you forgotten what he's already done in your past? And are you, are you blind or are you aware of what he's doing right now? Again, I go back to the moment that I finally gave my life over to the authority of the word. That was a two-year process and God was calling out to me and saying, Bo, I brought you to this wonderful Bible-believing community. I gave you Bible-believing co-workers. I put you in a Bible-believing Bible college. Uh, You came to visit a Bible-believing church to give your testimony. And now, week after week, people are sharing the transforming power of the Scriptures, how the words are living and active. And you still, after all this time, after all your research, after everything I'm doing in your life, are you going to finally pay attention? And I finally paid attention. So I want to ask you right now, whatever you're struggling with, maybe it's a doubt. It's a doubt about who God is or an old understanding of who God is, or a doubt about how God's gonna provide, and you've been struggling, and you're still struggling because you have parts of your past, the leftovers of your past that are poisoning your present, and you're saying, I just don't know, I just don't know, I just don't know, and God's saying, are you watching? Are you seeing what I'm doing? Have you seen the people that are in your path? Do you notice what's going on? I'm showing myself to you, if you'll just be open to this. That's what he's calling out to us right now. Pay attention to what it is that he's doing in our life. So as as we draw to a close, I want to make this as practical and as real as I can. I want to sum this up, and then I want to issue a practical way that you can respond to the leftovers. So in one sentence, how do I wrap this up? Jesus wants you to look through the leftovers in your own life and see where sin is currently blinding you. Jesus wants you to look through the leftovers in your own life and see where sin is currently blinding you. Now, I want to make this practical as we draw to a close. All right, if you look in the Scriptures, I believe there are three key things that you need to see what God is doing in your life. You need the Word, you need the Spirit, and you need the church. And let me tell you how this works. First and foremost, you need the Word of God. All right, the Bible is, and again, I had a long journey to come to this understanding. The Bible is, from the first word to the last, the infallible, inerrant, perfect, supremely authoritative source of all truth. It is living and active, it is breathed out by God, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It is what God intended for you to have to know Him and to follow Him. And everything else has to be measured by the Bible, by that foundation of truth. And so you need the Word. But you also need the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit inspired that book, the Holy Spirit's also gonna open your eyes to see the truth that He's inspired. Now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can read the Bible and you can learn things about God, but you can't know Him apart from his spirit. Now, most of you in this room would say, okay, Bo, I'm tracking with you. All right, but let me get to number three, and this is why this is so important. Not only do you need the word and the spirit, you need church. And when I say you need church, I'm not saying you just need to get into worship on Sunday morning. Yes, this is a big part of it, but you need other people who know the word and are indwelled by the Holy Spirit to come alongside you and help guide you because there are areas in your own life that you have a blind spot to and everybody can see it but you. But when you're part of a covenant family, in love, people come up to you and share in love what God's doing because if you can't see it and everybody else filled with the Holy Spirit can, then God's using the church to help you in your walk. That's one of the main purposes of the local church. God never intended for us, ever, to do the Christian walk alone. First of all, it's impossible. Second of all, you were born born again as a believer into the body of Christ, and you're one member, and the body needs you, and you need the body. An eyeball can do nothing by itself, but as part of the body, it can bring vision. All right, so you are a part of the body, and I will just, I testified this morning in prayer time with, with Larry Sykes and Jim Savage. I testified over and over in my life There had been times where things were so obvious to everybody but me, and I would go through the same things over and over and over again, and then people in this church lovingly would come alongside me and say, Bo, it's obvious what's happening here. I mean, I I ran from the calling to ministry for so long because I just said, I'm not a pastor. Are you kidding me? I'm a sportscaster. I know the press box, not the pulpit. That's my calling. And I would run and run and run because I had this idea of who a pastor is and I did not fit that profile. In a lot of ways, I still don't fit that profile. But it took, it took so many people in this church. It took Ronald Cardell and Monty Tillman and Larry Sykes and Kenny Davis and all these men week after week that would come up to me and say, Bo, it's pretty obvious what's happening here. And then Eddie Jones and Jim O'Brien, that search committee over and over saying, Bo, it's pretty obvious. We all see it. You don't see it but the church had to come alongside of me and help me to see what I could not see. And in your life, that's what this church is here for. This is why we wanna do life together and be in Sunday school classes together and break bread in the fellowship hall together and do Bible studies together and go on mission trips together and go through baptisms and weddings and ordinations and from the beginning to the end, do life together. Because as one church family, we can come alongside of each other and we can see God's movement in each other's lives and help each other to not fall into the blind spot Of sin, you need the Word, you need the Spirit, and you need the church if you want to follow the One, the Lord Jesus. So, as we draw to a close, I just want all of you to just pray quietly. First of all, if you're not a believer, as Dave mentioned, do you think it's an accident you're here today? Do you think it's an accident that you're hearing exactly what you're hearing today? Maybe today's that day where you need to repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus, and say, Jesus, I'm all yours. Maybe you are a believer, and you walked into this room with serious questions or serious problems. My question to you is, are you open to what the Word teaches? Are you open to how the Spirit leads? And are you open to how the church supports if you're not open to one of those three, I would say make all three of those things a priority in your life because we were meant to look through the leftovers together. Let's pray. Father, again, you are so patient with us. Lord, I think about my own life and all the questions, all the doubts, day after day, week after week, month after month. And you kept putting godly, Bible-believing Christians in my path until it became blatantly obvious what you were doing in my life. Thank you for your patience, Lord. Thank you for the way that you've been patient with all of us. But Lord, I pray that you would convict hearts. I pray that we would stop clinging to the things of the past and be open to what you're doing in the present. I pray that we would seek you in your word that we would seek you through your spirit, that we would seek you in your church as we grow under the lordship of your son. Be with us now, I pray, and help us to look through these leftovers together that we may truly become disciples of Jesus Christ and build your heavenly kingdom here on earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.